King. We welcome you here tonight, guests and visitors. Thank you for coming. Those of you that are joining us live stream, we welcome you as well. And of course, all of our church members, you're supposed to be here. So you're, I'm glad you're here. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you are visiting with us on Wednesday nights, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And we've started in chapter 1, verse 1, and verse by verse worked our way through this short epistle, and it's taken us about a year or so to do it, um, certainly not every single week. We've had some breaks here and there with meetings and such, but we're, we're finding ourselves at the end of this epistle, and I think that we, at least for me personally, and I would hope for you too, uh, that our study in this epistle has brought some insightful, uh, helpful, encouraging challenging truth uh, into our life. And the Word of God is always relevant, certainly, uh, but especially in the life of a church. And when we think back on the church of Thessalonica, uh, from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul was commending them, even though they were so young uh, in the Lord. Paul only spent three or four weeks with them, very, very short amount of time. The persecution drove him out that church remained faithful, and Paul commends them back in chapter 1. That's how he started this epistle, commending them for their faithfulness and their growth in the Lord. And Paul points out several things, even in that first chapter alone, how Thessalonica stands as a tremendous example, uh, even for us to follow. I really appreciate the the thoughts that Paul brings out in chapter 1. It's not really part of the message here, but let's just go back to chapter 1, where, where Paul highlights the fact that this church, um, in verse 6, became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So they, 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 they and later on the Bible says how they turned to, from idols to serve the living God. But Paul said, you became followers of us. That word followers means imitators. And they had received the word even in the midst of a whole bunch of affliction and trial. And then he says in verse 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia through that whole country region, that church was an example. And then he says, how they were an example in verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. They had a tremendous testimony amongst uh, other Christians. It was spread abroad, and this church was so young in the Lord and in the faith. They were a, they were a new church, and yet they had already... Uh, been sounding out the word of the Lord in all of the region and all of the country. And I guess what I'm getting at uh, is that from the very beginning, this church was a tremendous example of what a New Testament church should be. And so 
we've walked through this letter and what I'm saying is it's challenged me and it's, and it's an example. This church is an example for our church as well. We also considered the fact that Paul loved this church so much. Chapter 2, chapter 3 is just filled up with Paul's expressions of love for these people. And his desire for them was that they would prosper in the work of God, where God had them. And that's really the desire uh, that I have for our church as well. That is God's desire for us, that we would prosper where the Lord has placed us. We are the body of Christ in North Pole, Alaska, and from us ought to sound out the word of the Lord to every place. And so we've got all kinds of tremendous examples here. This church was growing. They were reaching the lost around them, even throughout the world. And Paul not only talked about all of those things, but then he also talked about a great deal regarding the responsibilities and obligations of a New Testament church. And lately, we've been in this section where we're talking about a healthy church. What characteristics will be there for a healthy church? And we've talked about those principles of how we ought to relate one to another and so on. And so we would do well to take heed uh, to these words of wisdom, and we would do well to seek to uh, achieve the same by God's grace uh, in Black Road Baptist Church. Amen? Amen? So tonight, we move to the last section in Paul's conclusion to the church. It starts in verse 16 of chapter 5. And these words that we'll read here are words of exhortation. They're words of encouragement. Uh, it's the conclusion to this letter. It's certainly beneficial as well for us. It offers some reminders to us of what we possess in Christ. It offers some reminders to us of our obligation to continue for the Lord and how we might do that. And a lot of times when you get to the end of a New Testament epistle, there's that benediction at the end. And a lot of times people just consider those things some concluding words, you know, uh, at the end of a, of a letter, but there's an abundance of help and guidance for us in these closing thoughts. And I want us to consider the instructions that Paul leaves here, beginning in verse 16 down through verse 28. Paul says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Tonight we're just going to consider verses 16 through 22. We'll break this last section up into two, uh, two different sections. And the first, verses 16 through 22, is Paul's closing exhortation. Verses 23 through 28 would be his closing benediction, and we'll consider that next time. But here in these 
first handful of verses, verses 16 through 22, Paul leaves them with an exhortation regarding their continued service unto the Lord. And what Paul deals with uh, much in these verses is really regarding our attitudes and our actions and how we live, our attitudes and our actions. And there's some great applications here for us in these verses And so we're going to consider this closing exhortation, but the two main thoughts or two main directions that we're going are related to our attitudes, number one, and then number two, our actions. Consider, first of all, our attitudes. Verses 16 through 18, Paul says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What, is, what kind of attitudes is Paul dealing with or talking about here? Well, first of all, in verse 16, he's talking about an attitude of praise. Verse 16 simply says, rejoice evermore. This is an attitude that the saint of God should have about them. This is a very simple statement, but it reveals a great challenge. It's very brief. But it's straight to the point, and the church is exhorted by the Apostle Paul to simply rejoice evermore. This has this phrase, rejoice evermore, has the idea of rejoicing or being glad exceedingly. There's not room inside of here for gloominess. There's not room inside of it for complaining. There's not room inside of it for anything but rejoicing in the benefit that we have of knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. Rejoice evermore, being exceeding glad. And surely, if anyone ought to rejoice exceedingly, it ought to be saints of God and members of a New Testament church in particular. If anybody should rejoice, it should be us. We've been redeemed from our sin, first of all. The debt of sin that we owe, the one that we could never repay, the wages of our sin, which is death, Jesus Christ took upon Himself. We're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin in Christ. Listen, that's reason enough for the saints of God to rejoice. And how long has it been since you rejoiced over the fact that you were born again by the blood of Jesus Christ? I think we lose sight of all that we have in Christ. We get so caught up in the routine of being a Christian or being a part of a New Testament church. It just becomes our culture. And sometimes it's good for us to remember back to what we were before we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. I remember what I was, and I remember the pit of sin that I was in. And I remember the joy that flooded my soul when all of that was gone. We have reason to rejoice. We've been redeemed from our sin. We've been made partakers of the inheritance of God. Listen, this life is terrible sometimes. It's it's part of the curse of sin. But for the child of God, we have the hope of heaven and eternal life. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what's coming next. We have the hope of heaven and eternal life, and that is worth being exceedingly glad about. Amen? Listen, I know that we all face trials and burdens in this life, 
but we've got reason to rejoice. And the difficulties that we face down here, we have to remember that they're all temporal. They're all temporal. But the hope that we have in Christ is eternal. And the Word of God simply encourages us as we go through this life in service to the Lord, as members of a New Testament church, we're encouraged to rejoice evermore. That quite literally means at all times and in all seasons. Have you been moping? Have you been complaining? Have you been down? Get your eyes off the temporal problems. Get your eyes off the moment. Get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what you have in Him. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. Amen? Apparently, that doesn't apply to most of you. There's bumps on a log here tonight with those expressions of grumpiness. It's a long, tiring week. It's been hot, right? Well, rejoice that we're sitting in a building, hearing the Word of God expounded, amen, that the Lord cares for His own, that we can be together as a family, as a body. Look at verse 17, pray without ceasing. These are attitudes. We ought to have the attitude of being joyful and rejoicing in the Lord, not an attitude of, of grumpiness or being sour or complaining. Then he says in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Just as we are to rejoice evermore, we're to pray without ceasing. Without ceasing means simply uninterrupted. That's what it means. And I think it can't be emphasized enough, the importance of prayer. It's the means by which we make our supplications known unto the Lord. It's a matter of fellowship and communion with God. We always ought to be in an attitude of prayer and communion with the Lord. There's not a lot of time for complaining when we're in communion with the Lord, right? Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's the attitude with which we ought to have daily in an attitude of prayer to the Lord, fellowship and communion with God. But I think all too often we reserve prayer for church services at mealtime, at the end of a day, etc., etc. But we need to be consistent and continual in an attitude of prayer. And I would simply say this to you. It's not something that you don't know, but it is something that you don't apply. I know that because I'm one of you. I'm human too. Right? That doesn't mean that it's okay, though, just because we all do it. God wants us to be in that attitude of prayer. And I would simply say this to you tonight. What a blessed privilege we have to come before our Heavenly Father in prayer. Amen? To come before the throne of God to find grace, to help in time of need. What hope, what comfort for the soul. We sing songs in our hymn book of the, of the blessings that we often forsake because we don't carry everything to God in prayer or the burdens that we bear unnecessarily because we don't cast our care upon Him as He's commanded us to do. 
One way to have a joyful heart and a joyful spirit is to spend time with the Lord in prayer, having just that attitude of praying without ceasing. Driving down the road at work, just talking to the Lord, communion with the Lord, like He's right there with me. Right? That's the kind of friend He is that sticks closer than a brother who's always there when no one else is. Why don't we take it to the Lord in prayer? Paul encourages this church in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their afflictions, because that's how the church was started, to even in the middle of the affliction to rejoice, and especially in the middle of the affliction to pray without ceasing. That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have. Look at verse 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Here's another attitude that we ought to have as saints of God. In everything, give thanks. Surely the church in Thessalonica had reason for despair in their affliction, but more importantly, they had every reason for thanksgiving. They had faced much adversity, but God was good to them, and God blessed them abundantly, and His grace was sufficient. Paul talks about that later on, and Paul exhorts them to give thanks unto the Lord in every situation and every circumstance. Maybe we would do much better if we had been instructed here to give thanks for the good things and give thanks for the pleasant things of life. We're quick to thank the Lord for that, aren't we? Lord, thank you for that blessing. Thank you for those good things. Thank you for what you've done. We would do great at this if we were instructed. Give thanks for the good things or the pleasant things, but we're exhorted to give thanks in everything. I know that we have a hard time being thankful for the trials of life. But in all actuality, as we have discovered in our series of the benefit of suffering, what we've discovered is that the trials of life are actually for our benefit too. And therefore, we ought to give thanks, even for those things. 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trial of your faith is a valuable thing. And it's in our adversity that we learn how to trust the Lord. And it's in our adversity that we're actually made more like Jesus Christ. We'll never face anything. We know these principles. We'll never face anything that our God is not able to handle. And we know this truth that God is sovereign. We know this. He is sovereign in every aspect of our life. And so therefore we can give thanks for every situation. That God has a purpose. God has a purpose in it. For my good and for His glory. Well, these are the attitudes of the heart that we ought to be known for. So Paul deals with the attitudes to have a a, a spirit of joyfulness, rejoicing evermore, to be in an attitude of 
prayer and fellowship with God, to have an attitude and a heart of thanksgiving unto the Lord. But what about our actions? We see four things in verses 19 through 22 that Paul mentions regarding our actions and how we behave. And Paul encourages them and instructs them, first of all, in verse 19, to quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. This is another simple statement, but it reveals a very profound truth. I think you are well aware of the the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You even know the benefit and the working of the Spirit of God within your life. We are indwelt with the Spirit of God at the moment we're saved. We're never going to lose that. The Spirit of God continues to guide us. The Spirit of God seeks to continue to sanctify us uh, throughout our life. But Paul warns them of the danger of quenching the Spirit. The word quench means to extinguish. Of course, we're we're not ever going to lose the Spirit of God. We're not... But, but Paul says we're not to extinguish or hinder the Spirit of God as He works in our lives. Again, we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God for our benefit. He is there, and we love it when the Spirit of God is there to comfort us. We love it when the Spirit of God is there to guide us. We sometimes don't like it when He reveals sin or brings conviction, but He's there doing His work. The Spirit of God is of immeasurable benefit to the believer, but we have to guard against grieving the Spirit, hindering the Spirit of God in what He wants to do in our life. How do we hinder the Spirit? Well, we need to keep our lives clean. We need to seek to walk in a way that pleases the Lord through the guidance of His Spirit, because the other side of that is potentially are going to hinder his ability to work in our life. And here, let me, let me point this out. It is a very dangerous thing to willfully disobey the leading or the prompting of the Spirit of God. It's a dangerous thing. Do you remember Samson? And Samson was empowered by the Spirit of God to do miraculous things. He was one of the judges, but Samson disobeyed the commands of the Lord in his life. Samson was controlled by his flesh, and it got to the point where Samson was so uh, not sensitive to the to the Lord in his life anymore, where the Bible says in Judges 16 and verse 20, she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And here's probably one of the saddest statements in all the word of God. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He didn't even know, didn't even recognize that the Lord had departed from him. And listen, we won't ever lose the Holy Spirit of God, but we can grieve him and dull our conscience and our sensitivity to him by continually rejecting his promptings in our life so that it's, it's as if we're completely insensitive to the Spirit of God anymore. 
the end result of that is always costly. Samson lost his eyes. Samson lost his freedom and ultimately lost his life. And Paul simply encourages the church, you quench not the Spirit, don't hinder the working of the Spirit of God in your life. You need it. So do I. For the sake of time, let's move on. He says in verse 20, he says, despise not prophesyings. Talking about our actions here. He's dealt with the attitudes and he's talking about the actions. Don't quench the Spirit in your life by how you live. He also says, despise not prophesyings. This word or phrase, despise not, it means the least esteemed. It means little regard. It means contemptible. The word prophesyings here, it's not talking about predicting the future. A prophet in the Old Testament was a messenger of God. His job involved both foretelling and forthtelling. He would at times foretell, meaning that he would tell what the future would be, the Lord would tell him. But mostly the prophet's job was to foretell. It means to proclaim a message from God. That's why you would often see the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord. He's simply proclaiming a message from God. The gift of prophecy predicting the future was a temporary sign gift that would cease to exist with the completion of Scripture. Paul's not talking about telling the future. He doesn't say esteem little or despise not prophesying regarding telling the future. No, his exhortation and the application even for us is simply this. We must treat the word of God with the utmost respect as a message that is directly from the Lord. Don't treat God's message with little regard. That's what he's talking about. 1 Peter, 2 Peter rather, Chapter 1 and verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's God's message. It's God's Word. And they were not to despise the utterance of the Word of God, whether it was in public reading of the Word of God or whether it was a preacher expounding upon the Word of God. The instruction is, is don't despise it. Don't treat it as if it's nothing. Don't give it little regard. In fact, give it all regard. The word despise carries a strong meaning that literally means this, to consider as nothing to look down upon. Whether it's the written Word of God or the Word of God being preached, we are not to consider the Word of God of little value. Paul's exhortation was to embrace it and to accept its teaching, to apply it in your life, to build your life on it. In fact, they were expected to allow the Word of God to bring about profitable change in their life. That goes back to all the way what he said in chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2 in verse 13, note what Paul says here 
in, in chapter 2, verse 13, says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul again is saying, allow the word of God to bring profitable change in your life. Don't treat it as if it's nothing or something of little value. The word effectual in this verse, in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 2, talking about how the word of God effectually works in you, it's the Greek word energeo. It's where we get our English word energize from. And it means that the word of God is operative. It's at work. The word of God puts forth power and it's efficient. It effectually works in you. The church in Thessalonica did allow God's word to be operative in their lives and to change them. And Paul is encouraging them, despise not prophesying, don't treat it with little regard. And we too need that kind of passion for the Word of God. We need to embrace it and allow it to speak to us, bringing profitable change to our lives as well. Why are we here? We're here to worship God. Part of our worship unto the Lord is when the Word of God is preached and there's food for my soul and God's Word effectually works in me. God wants to change me and sanctify me and I need to apply these truths in my life so that I'm a doer of the Word and not a hearer only because otherwise I'm just deceiving myself. The Bible talks about in Hebrews regarding the nation of Israel that the word preached was not profitable for them. Why? Because they disregarded it. How do we despise or treat the word with little esteem? Well, when we don't come to hear it. When we're not faithful in church to hear the word of God preached. We treat it as if it's a little thing. It's not that important. When we don't regard what it has to say, I've heard it, but I'm not really going to apply it in my life. We treat it as if it's a little thing. When we don't practice what is commanded in it, we despise it. We treat it with little esteem. Paul says, don't treat the Word of God with little esteem. In fact, build your life on it. It's everything. Because the end of that life, listen, the end of that life is always bitter. The end of that life is always bitter. Go to Proverbs chapter 1. Just keep your place here. Proverbs chapter 1. Look at verse 20. Proverbs 1.20 says, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets, she crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates in the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge, Turn you at my reproof, 
Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. The Word of God is wisdom to us. The Word of God is reproof and instruction. It's counsel for us. And in Proverbs here, Solomon says that wisdom is saying, you said it not all my counsel, you would none of my reproof. You didn't apply it. And the end of that life is always bitter when your calamity comes and your fear comes and your destruction comes. You're going to call out to God, but you're not going to find Him. Why? Because you hated knowledge. You didn't choose the fear of the Lord. You despised all of His reproof. And I think the application is when we disregard or treat the Word of God as a little thing, and we disregard its commands, we don't see the value of it. The end of that life is going to bring bitterness. So, the application is let the Word of God effectually work in you. Amen? Despise not prophesyings. And then he says, prove all things. Verse 21 of our text. Verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. For the sake of time, let me quickly go through this. Basically what this means is they were to test or examine all things. Their lives, in other words, were to be lived in light of the holy standard of God. And so embracing that which is good, refraining from that which is not. Paul says, stay committed to the things of God. Test the things in your life. Prove the things in your life. Hold fast to the things that are good and let go of the rest. And I think there's some sound wisdom in that exhortation for us. We line our life up with the Word of God, testing, proving that. We need to examine all aspects of our lives in light of God's Word and His will for our lives. And then we need to embrace and hold fast the things that are good, but forsake all that hinders our Christian life. Do we practice that? Do we regularly examine areas of my life? in light of God's truth? Or do we lean on our own understanding? Well, I think it's this way, or I think that, and, you know, I'll choose to operate this way because, you know, this has happened and that's happened, and I just put all this together, and so I'm going to choose to do this. And I'm going to be justified in how I live my life. Or do we use the plumb line of God's Word, that straight edge of God's Word, as what we examine our life by? 
there's sound wisdom in that exhortation. Then he says in verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. He continues to urge them to maintain a godly testimony in this sinful world. Refraining from the appearance of evil. If something they engaged in would cause a brother to stumble, they should forsake it. And I think we as well need to be reminded of this fundamental truth to guard our testimony. To be careful how we present ourselves so that Christ is exalted and our lives would point others to Him. We have an obligation as a child of God to live above reproach in this present evil world, to represent Christ accurately. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we sojourn here, we're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That speaks of our testimony. Now, we're going to stop here tonight and then pick it up again in verse 23 the next time to see Paul's final charge to this church. And again, we'll look at what Paul's heart for them was uh, in this final section of these verses. And next week, we'll just maybe do a quick review of all that we have covered from chapter 1 to the end and tie it all together uh, for our admonition and our learning. Amen? Prayerfully, there was something in there that encouraged you tonight and challenged you um, regarding our attitudes and regarding our actions as we live in this world. What kind of an attitude do you have? Is it one of rejoicing or is it one of complaining? What kind of fellowship do you have with the Lord in a spirit and an attitude of prayer? Or are you distant? Do you have an attitude of thanksgiving unto the Lord and for not forgetting all of His benefits? What kind of an attitude uh, do you portray? Those should be good, challenging, encouraging, instructional things for God's people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd use Your Word tonight and encourage, challenge us through it that we might be more like Christ. And Lord, that we would, as the, the Word of God was pointed out to us, that we need to let God's Word effectually work in us uh, to change us, to um, bring about that profitable uh, change in our life that is useful to the Lord that would draw us to Christ to make us more like Him. And Lord, that we would be quick to apply when you speak. In Jesus' name, amen.